This podcast is brought to you by Knowledge at Wharton. For more information, please visit knowledge.wharton.upenn.edu. The announcement last week of Yahoo's massive data breach had many customers wondering about the security of the company. It also has some thinking about its potential sale to Verizon and whether that could be impacted in some way. But does the problem have enough outrage at it? Andrew Matuishan is a former senior advisor at the Federal Trade Commission, currently a law professor at Princeton University. She joins us on the, uh, she will be joining us on the phone in just a minute. On the phone with us right now is Ermont Bargava, excuse me, Chair in Technology Management at the University of California at Davis. Ermont, great to have you back on the show with us. Oh, nice to be back, Ben. Thank you very much. What effect do you think this is going to have on the Verizon deal, if any? Uh, well, it will have some effect for sure. So I, I think it's worthwhile to look at the reason why Verizon bought Yahoo and see if that, you know, how well that survives. And I think as we discussed on the show about a year ago, when Verizon bought AOL, they that sort of two legs of the stool. Verizon holds the pipe. They bought AOL to serve video advertising. And they thought, okay, let's buy Yahoo so we can have uh, landing pages where we can bring uh, uh, advertisers to. And Yahoo, of course, you know, even today, it's, now, it's the number five traffic site. So that's the reason Verizon thought Yahoo would be a good acquisition. And... But the problem is, it's, even though it's number five, it's really a lot of legacy users, and those users are not monetized so much um, as users at Facebook or Google mm-hmm. or other sites. So I think the challenge with that is um, now that with this, you know, the, the extra negative reputation of the data breach, many users will defect. And so that's one reason Verizon might at least want to rethink the value of the deal. Um, and just to be sure, there will be a lot of liability issues from um, the breach. And, you know, the cost per data breach can be anywhere from $25 to $200 per user. So that, that's a lot of money if you factor in the 500 million users. And that liability could, you know, the Verizon may, might insist that the remaining Yahoo maintains that liability. So mm-hmm. it really doesn't affect Yahoo. But at the very least, the reputation effect on users and, and defection of users will, um, will cause some rethink. Well, and then also you have these uh, lawsuits that uh, are going to be filed, uh, a couple of them which, uh, which already have. So that's something that uh, I would think that Verizon has to take into effect as well. That's right. And as I said, the, the liability from these lawsuits, uh, they may just insist that Yahoo Remember, they're not buying Yahoo outright, right? So the remaining Yahoo would still perhaps have to take on that liability. Uh, this seemingly ends up being another black mark on the on the ledger of Marissa Mayer as well, doesn't it? I think so. So, you know, Yahoo has been, in a sense, such a damaged company and sick company, and Marissa was going to fix all of that, but we've had multiple acquisitions since then that have failed. Um, they have not been able to increase the top line. Um, so, yes, I would, I would totally agree. And the fact that this was not disclosed in time is clearly more of a corporate governance yeah. um, mark on her. How much of this being delayed? And, and I, again, this really started like about two years ago uh, with, uh, with uh, Yahoo. How much of that being delayed could have been the fact that seemingly for the last two years, 
Yahoo has been considered a target, and seemingly I, I would think the company would want to kind of keep this low and, and under the radar just to kind of get through uh, the potential sales process. Oh, I don't think you can explain it with that because there are legal requirements. It's a public company, and there are certain things that have to be disclosed uh, to investors and, and everyone else. So I don't. I, I think it takes a while to detect some of these breaches. Right. But two years is a very long time, and I do. I don't understand that part. Your comments are welcome at eight four four Wharton eight four four nine four two seven eight six six. We're talking about the Yahoo data breach, and especially love to hear from you, especially if you're a Yahoo customer. Has this changed your opinion about the company? Eight four four. 942-7866 is the number to give us a call. So th- this being announced, what is really the, the, the tack that, that Yahoo has to try and take now, not only to uh, strengthen up uh, it, its, its, its place in this industry, but strengthen up the security level that it, that it has as well with, the, with its customers? Um, so let, there are two questions. Let's take the second one, right? Strengthen the security level. I don't know how much to fault Yahoo that, you know, I don't think anyone should be looking at Yahoo and say, oh, wow, it happened to you, of course, because it could happen to anyone. And Verizon is no stranger to data breaches. So, you know, I, I, I imagine they have to use um, modern security technologies that they are. Um, but going back to your first question, how much does it affect Yahoo and their competitiveness? I, you know, the thing with Yahoo is it's about a $40 billion company, and out of that, uh, the, you know, uh, when Verizon announced the price of four point two or eight billion dollars uh, for the core assets, that actually indicates the negative value of those assets because the the remaining things that Yahoo has with the Alibaba ownership and so forth, yeah. that already it's pretty close to forty billion dollars. So in, in in that sense, Yahoo has been bleeding for a long, long time. Um, and it's really not clear where that will go. And, and for Verizon to acquire Yahoo because of the traffic, and, and something I had suggested on this show 14 months ago that they should think of that, but I think that's a very uncreative solution. They could instead go for a collection of companies that have collectively that sort of traffic, right. you know, Reddit, Trump, Twitter, Pinterest, and so forth. That, that would be uh, a lot better. And really, if you think, you know, after Yahoo being number five, there's really no acquisition target. The next, if you look at the top 50 sites, there are Google sites and Microsoft sites and China sites predominantly, except if you combine uh, things like Twitter, Pinterest, GitHub, and so forth, which bring younger customers. Andrew Matushin joins us as well right now on the phone. Andrew, great to have you back on the show. Nice to be here. Thank you. Uh, so, I mean, we're several days out from this this announcement. Uh, what, in your mind, are the most important things that Yahoo has to do right now, whether that be from the business side or from the technology side? Well, first and foremost, uh, particularly because this breach was not discovered perhaps as promptly as Yahoo's shareholders and uh, officers and directors may have wanted to discover it, uh, the first step is really the forensics. Uh, So why was it the case that this breach from 2014 was discovered only just now in 2016? And to make sure that the bleeding has stopped, the intruders are uh, 
eliminated from the system entirely and that the methods of entry used by those intruders have been mitigated and corrected so that the same kind of errors don't repeat again. Um, the question of what processes currently exist inside the organization to swiftly detect and stop the bleeding in instances of breach, these are questions that the officers and directors should aggressively engage with to make sure that this kind of an incident uh, doesn't repeat, certainly on the scale, and uh, to limit the risk of another security breach as aggressively as possible in light of the state of the art. If there is a level of impact in uh, this potential deal that it's felt going forward, whatever that might be, uh, do you think it is significant or do you think it, it, it's just kind of a side note at this point and this deal will get done relatively on time? Well, based on some press reports that I've seen, some experts are projecting a value drop uh, perhaps of $100 million or $200 million in purchase price. I think it really depends on the extent of the breach. And as we find out in the coming days from forensic reports, uh, the extent of information that's been compromised uh, and how material it is to the, the value of those accounts. I mean, at, this kind of data valuation is partially uh, art as well as science, and so we'll see how this, this plays out. But uh, the scale of this breach is massive on the numbers of accounts that are implicated. Yeah. So certainly I would expect that Verizon and its, and its attorneys will be considering uh, whether to raise this as a deal point in their ongoing negotiations. And, and I guess that should also be brought up as well is in terms of the timing of the announcement that there was this data breach. Again, this is something that was going back uh, almost two years, uh, yet this announcement was made, what, a, a couple of months after the sale announcement. So, I mean, it it is interesting that you almost get the sense that somehow some it was found out and and uh, brought to the attention of Verizon just so that they know, but also the fact that it obviously needed to be out there in the public. Hey, this happened, and we're working to fix it, Andrea. Yes. So part of the question of fact that undoubtedly will come out in the litigation is exactly on what date did Yahoo recognize this compromise to have happened. Um, as we all know at this point, there are data breach notification statutes on the state level that require providing notice to impacted account holders within certain periods of time. But another aspect legally that makes both this, this lawsuit, this class action suit, but also the transaction itself interesting is that when we're talking about a transactional context, we have a different legal analysis of the way that fiduciary duties of officers and directors play in. And so while security obligations are not traditionally though I would argue they should be, considered by ongoing fiduciary duties of, of care on a day-to-day -day management basis. Mm -hmm. um, at the point at which we have a concrete transaction happening, that triggers analysis of duties of care and whether the board of directors and officers acted in accordance with their legal obligations to the corporation to preserve assets, maintain shareholder value, et cetera. So the fact that this is happening in a transactional context makes it legally more complicated and fraught from the fiduciary duty standpoint than it would be if it were 
uh, outside of a transactional acquisition context. Uh, what's your reaction to the uh, to the, the the court cases that no doubt are, are going to be coming against Yahoo because of this breach? We'll end up with a fact-specific inquiry. So the question of whether there was reasonable care, and, and the plaintiff, I think, is alleging gross negligence, which yeah. basically is a higher level that amounts to a conscious or voluntary disregard of reasonable care. So it's a higher standard to prove. It will depend entirely on what the facts of the case demonstrate was considered, used, rejected, and evolved within Yahoo's data management processes internally, which decision makers were involved, and how the, at this point, well-established processes of care and best practices inside sophisticated entities with respect to security, whether those kinds of processes happened or didn't happen in this case, uh, and the responsiveness of the entity once it realized it had a problem. Your comments, again, are welcome at 844-WHARTON, 844-942-7866. We're talking with Andrew Matwishin uh, of uh, Princeton University. Uh, also joining us, Erman Bargava, who is with the University of California at Davis. Especially if you are a Yahoo customer, if you've used them as your Internet source, give us a call. What do you think? Are you uh, Have you dumped them already, or... Are you sticking with them? 844-942-7866 is the number to give us a call. Uh, Herman, I guess from, from as you were managing, the management standpoint of this, uh, this is something that we mentioned about Marissa Mayer before, but this is something that will affect management up and down the line and really, I think, have to uh, look at a, a core change in what, uh, in what Yahoo does on a day-to-day basis in terms of their security, correct? Well, definitely in terms of security, but also, as Andrea mentioned, in the simply in, in fulfilling their management responsibilities. So it could be, uh, it could even be that this breach was discovered and then someone decided not to mention it, right, or not to announce it. And, and why and who? And I think those are big questions that will come up. Well, I, th- I think, uh, Andrea, that also... Uh uh, I'm knowing a couple of people in the IT community. They they are people that uh, are, are of the opinion that once a breach is discovered, that the company should have a few months uh, or whatever that time period may be to work on it themselves before they they make that announcement. Because a lot of times it seems like when that breach is first discovered, you don't know the extent of what it is. Correct. So I think the short version is it depends here. So the context really matters when we're talking about a particular breach. Legally, the time frames of notification vary state by state, but uh, in some states, several months of uh, internal investigation is a period that is longer than the state statute provides. Okay. So while certainly we want thorough and complete forensics done in the case of any breach, and that can take a long time, getting an initial handle on the scope of your problem is something that can almost always be done relatively quickly, not to a perfect level of full knowledge of exactly how the attackers got in. But if you can't get a handle on the rudimentary extent of your breach within the first week or so, 
I think it's certainly a wake-up call to ask whether you have adequate processes in place internally and whether your day-to-day monitoring of your intrusions and your logs is up to par from a management standpoint. Uh, obviously, for, for all the people that are involved in this, Andrea, they have to uh, look at their uh, their specific accounts and, and, you know, obviously changing passwords and, and, and doing all that. What are some of the other things that, that realistically people that are listening to us right now really need to think about if they're a Yahoo customer? Andrea? I'm sorry, Dan. There was a lot of cross-traffic. Okay. All right. Uh, I was going to say, uh, Andrea, what are some of the things that, that consumers listening to us really need to consider uh, if if they are a Yahoo customer at this point? Obviously, changing passwords is, is, is the first thing. But what are some of the other things that, that people should really be thinking about? Certainly. So one of the perhaps troubling uh, and interesting uh, legally speaking, uh, questions that emerged is that there are some preliminary reports that the answers to security questions that Yahoo was using were not encrypted. Um, now, that's not necessarily an unusual practice at this juncture, but um, from a consumer standpoint, it perhaps should give each of us pause to think about the kind of information that we're giving away and those answers to security questions. Right. Um, and if there is, for example, redundancy in the answers to those questions, say if you're using um, non-public information uh, in many different places across many different accounts, then that information is potentially burnt and someone else who has possession of the data from one account could use that information to more easily gain access to one of your other accounts. Uh, and so the, the question here is uh, for consumers to recognize that interconnection and try to either uh, use password managers or change security questions in ways that are less potentially damaging to them across contexts. But really, more broadly, it brings up the question of whether our current system of passwords and security questions even uh, provides the best of all possible worlds. We've now evolved to the place where some websites are providing drop-down lists of potential answers to security questions. And that is a choice that security experts have found suboptimal from the standpoint of risk mitigation. Um, And so we have this ecosystem of passwords and security questions that's not great for a number of reasons. And that's something that consumers should try to um, come up with perhaps creative ways of minimizing their own risk and the way that they're answering those questions. We are joined by Hemant Bergava of uh, University of California, Davis, Andrea Matwishan of Princeton University. Your comments are welcome at 844-WHARTON, 844-942-7866 is the number to give us a call. Uh, Hemant, in terms uh, of what you see as the, as the avenues that, that consumers could, uh, could really put on their, on their mind uh, going after this, uh, this attack, what do you see as being the key, key ingredients? You do you mean Yahoo consumers? Yes. Um, so I, I missed a little bit of, of what Andrea said, but I think we need uh, the customers should be demanding better ways to authenticate themselves. And uh, between fingerprinting, one-time passwords, voice, you know, other recognition tools uh, that companies should start adopting so that there are fewer chances of being 
of having information stolen. So I think that's one thing uh, they should be demanding. Is the is the one-time password a, a a an option you think that we will see more of down the road? Because that obviously you're talking about a lot of repetition and and changing of password along the way, correct? Hey, Mont. Yes, uh, there's a lot of cross noise occasionally. Okay, uh, can you are you able to hear me fine? Yes. Okay, ahead. I was going to say about about the the one-time password. What ends up being the impact of having something like that? On a on a on a wide scope uh, wide scope basis with a company the size of Yahoo. No, I think that in particular is a little bit irritating because it act, and actually it opens up more channel possibilities for uh, information to get leaked. But that's just one of different biometric and other uh, you know possibilities that that are that exist. And especially you know we have now over 50 percent of access to the web happens on mobile devices. Right, and for you know, you have a much simpler way to authenticate yourself there, and and really, there should be no need to go into a password and answer three or four security questions before you can get into your account. Andrew, what do you think is going to be the 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 idea that a lot of companies will think about going forward in terms of trying to improve their security so that we don't have uh, repetition of these types of attacks? Now, obviously, we we seemingly have them on on a fairly uh, consistent basis, and I don't think anybody's suggesting that we will be able to, you know, eradicate every breach from every company, uh, you know, across the world. But there the, there have to be other steps that that can be taken that one are effective for the company, but two are also effective for the consumer as well. Um, so there was there was some cross points, but I think what you what you were asking was whether there are additional steps or what the next generation of technology here is, or what can we do to mitigate the risks of uh, the password system as we currently have implemented it. Uh, I think certainly in technologies such as the use of two-factor authentication and having something not only something you know but something that you have. So a, a token that gives you a rotating number to type in, um, these are sort of the state of, of what uh, sophisticated companies are doing in terms of um, authentication. But it's certainly an area where more research and development is needed, and the password regime that we have now is definitely not the best of all possible worlds. Uh, so I'd expect experimentation moving forward. Um, and uh, the one cautionary note is that biometrics are not going to be the answer because unlike a password, which you can change, you can't really change your fingerprints. So right. yeah. biometric approaches are going to get us into similarly challenging situations in the way that we're seeing with the, the data breaches now. And there have been a few notorious cases where, uh, for example, a police chief in Mexico implanted an RFID chip and mentioned it to the press, and he was subsequently kidnapped, and it was cut out of his body. So oh, implantables aren't necessarily the way to go either, um, and we certainly have room for improvement in the way that we're authenticating um, our identities in technology-mediated spaces. Great to have you both back on the show. Thank you, Andrea. Thank you, Hermont. Thank you. Uh, thank you, Dan. Thank you. Thank Andrew Mitwishan Mit 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 at Princeton University and Hemant Bargava of the uh, University of California at Davis. For more business news and analysis from Knowledge at Wharton, please visit knowledge.wharton.upenn.edu.